good to see everybody. We made it in one piece two days ago. So thankful to be here. I want to thank all of you who have been praying and the gifts, the cards, the prayers, those of you who have physically come and helped us. We really appreciate it. My wife will be here the second service, but thank you very much. It's been, uh, what, about a two or three month journey back and forth. So we're about 70% unpacked. My wife's pretty efficient. Um, of course, I help her, but uh, it's good to be here, and uh, I look forward to uh, working together as we advance the kingdom of God. Also, I wanted to mention to you, if you notice your bulletin, there's a new look in the bulletin. I want you to notice the prayer section in the bulletin there. Um, one of the things that we're going to do is every Sunday, we're going to take you know 30 seconds to 45 seconds to pray during the announcement time for those prayer items. We're going to lift up a country of the month. We're going to lift up a persecuted church of the month. And we're going to lift up a local church of the month. And the reason why I want to do this every week is it's going to help build a missions mindset. It's not just about us. It's about what God is doing in the world. And so I want to encourage you to take your bulletin and pray for those particular items during your own devotional time with the Lord, because we want to be world Christians. We don't want to just be focused on here. We want to be focused on what God is doing around the world. And listen, the church in this area, their success is our success. Their failure is our failure, right? Because the Bible says there is one body. There may be multiple congregations, but there is one body. When we get to heaven, there isn't going to be Baptists and Presbyterians and non-denominational. We're all one in the body of Christ. And so we want to pray for other churches as well. So be a part of that and let's pray together. Father, we thank you this morning for allowing us to come together, Father. Thank you for the new start of what you want to do here. I thank you for the history of Northwest Chapel and all the good things that have happened. Thank you for the outreach. Thank you, Lord, for the inreach. Thank you, Lord God, for all the people that have labored here. And we pray as we start a new chapter that you would begin to work. You would, Lord, continue, Lord, to allow us to have an impact in this community. Help us, Lord God, to reach the lost. God, we want to be a church that is a beacon of light. And we pray, Father, that we would be a church that is known not only for outreach, but a church that preaches the word. Father, we lift, you, we lift this church up and we ask for your blessing because we acknowledge apart from you, we can do nothing. So we humble ourselves this morning. We acknowledge our need for you. We acknowledge our dependency upon you. It's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And so, Father, you work through vessels, but, Father, we acknowledge our inadequacy. We acknowledge our insufficiency, and we acknowledge that, Father, you must do the work here. And Father, I pray for a harvest. I pray for people to come into the kingdom and to be discipled. Father, speak to us now as we look into your word in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you like watching Christmas movies during the Christmas season? Most of us do. One of the movies that you've probably seen is Home Alone. Now, if you remember a scene in Home Alone, Joe Pecci, who plays one of those burglars, he ends up going into the house and he's tinkering with a lot of the Christmas gifts, and he picks up what is called a kaleidoscope. Now, all of you have looked into a kaleidoscope before. Whenever you look into it and you turn it, you will notice that there are different shapes and sizes and colors. 
They're actually very pretty. Well, this morning, I want to look at the kaleidoscope of God's Word because God's Word is like a kaleidoscope. When you turn it, we're going to see different facets of God's Word. So I invite you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. We want to look at verse 22 all the way into chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, as the title of this message is The Kaleidoscope of God's Word. Now remember, Peter wrote this letter in the 60s, and he was writing to a group of beleaguered Christians who were being persecuted for their faith. And so this letter is a letter of suffering. And he's writing these believers to encourage them in the midst of their difficulty and their struggles. And in this particular section, he exhorts them to love one another. And in the process of exhorting them to love one another, he basically gives us a mini-theology or a kaleidoscope of God's Word. So the first thing I want to look at this morning as we turn the kaleidoscope of God's Word is I want to look at the person of the Word of God. Who is the person of the Word of God? Notice what he says in chapter 1. Verse 23, he says to the Christians, For you have been born again, not of seed, which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and enduring, here it is, word of God. So who is the person of the word of God? The person of the word of God is God himself. He is the source of the Bible. God is the one who gave us the Bible. In fact, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, it says this, All Scripture is inspired by who? By God. God is the one who has given us the Scripture. Now, we know that God did not fax the Bible to us from heaven. It would have been nice if God just faxed it to us, but that's not the process of how God gave us the Bible. If God is the source of the Word, how did it come to us? Well, the Bible makes it very clear that all Scripture is inspired by God. That word inspired there literally means the breath of God. It is the exhalation of God. And what God did when he gave us the Scripture is he gave it to us through human instruments. That's called inspiration. And so what God did was he wanted to reveal his word to mankind. And what the Holy Spirit did was the Holy Spirit came on the writers of Scripture so that they wrote exactly what God wanted them to write. But watch this. He did not violate their personalities. That's why when you read the Bible, you will notice that each book of the Bible has a different flavor to it. And the reason why is because it has the stamp of human personality. For example, if you read Luke, Luke was an intelligent doctor. And so in the first several verses of the Gospel of Luke, he uses classical Greek rather than Koine Greek. Koine Greek was the Greek of the common person. Classical Greek was the Greek used by the intelligent people. Why? Because Luke was a doctor. He was very intelligent, and he was trying to tell us right at the outset when he wrote his Gospel that his Gospel was on par with all other literature of that time. But on the other hand, if you read 2 Peter... When I when it's in seminary, we had to interpret 2 Peter in the Greek. 2 Peter is very difficult to interpret in the Greek. You know why? Because it's uneducated Greek. Who wrote 2 Peter? Peter did. Peter was an uneducated fisherman. And so his writing was not as polished as Luke's. Why? Because God works through human instruments. And so who wrote the Bible, God or man? The answer is both. 
Let me ask you a question. Was Jesus fully God or fully man? What's the answer? Both. That's the living word. Then you have the written word. The written word comes from God. He is the source. But he inspired men as they wrote exactly what he wanted them to write without violating their personalities. To give you an illustration of this, how God and man work together in the writing of the Bible, you've been to an airport before, and have you ever been on one of those escalators that you get on it and you walk on it? Some of you prefer the exercise, right, rather than getting on that escalator, but when you get on the escalator and it's moving, you're walking and you feel like it's carrying you. Now, who's doing the carrying? Is it the escalator or is it you while you're walking? The answer is both. The escalator is moving you along, and yet you're walking at the same time. I know some of you are going, I don't walk. I just stay there and let it carry me. (laughs) I understand that, but you get the point. It's both you and the escalator. It's the same with inspiration. God is the person of the word, but he inspired men to write the word, and they recorded exactly what God wanted them to record without eliminating their personalities and their vocabulary in the process. And so Peter here says that we are born again by the word of God. God is the person of the word. He is the source of the word. Secondly, I would have you not, not only the person of the word, but I would have you note the power of the word. Notice what he says in verses 22 through 23. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have a sincere love for each other. In other words, now that you're saved, you have the capacity to love one another. He says, love one another deeply. In other words, stretch yourself to love one another. And that word is used of a horse stretching its extremities in a race. Why? Because some people are difficult to love. Listen, all of us are difficult to love at times, but some people, the extra grace is required. Why? Because they're difficult. Peter says, love one another deeply from the heart, and here's the reason why. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. Peter here introduces to us the second kaleidoscope of God's word. As we turn the kaleidoscope, we see the person of the word. And as we turn it again, we see the power of the word. And the power of the word is seen in that it converts the soul. Because he says here, you have been born again, not of perishable seed. The Bible is compared to seed. In other words, when you take seed and you put it in soil, what happens is it has inherent power within it, and what it does is it produces plants, it produces crops, and he says God's word is like seed. When you plant it in the soil of human heart, what happens is when it's mixed with faith, it causes that person, as he says here, to be born again. God uses his word as the instrument in order to bring people to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 10 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing a word about Christ. James chapter 1 verse 18 says this, he chose to give us birth, that is new birth, here it is, through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all that he created. You see, the word of God is the instrument. It is the power by which God converts the sinner. I remember years ago when I was living in Miami, I wasn't a senior pastor. We lived on the church property and they gave us free rent, but the condition was I had to mow the lawn and it was a large property. 
And I would do that faithfully. And one day when I came out there, this uh, riding lawnmower was dead. It wasn't working. The battery was dead. And so what I did was I drove up my car and I took some jumper cables out and I connected the jumper cables to the battery of my vehicle and then I connected it to the riding lawnmower. And you know what happened? It gave it life. And you see, the source of the life was the jumper cables. God's word is the jumper cables. It gives life to the sinner and it causes them to see the truth so that they can be saved. And listen, the word of God is so powerful, it can penetrate the most hardened heart. I'm reminded of a woman by the name of Carla Faye Tucker. Maybe some of you heard about her a number of years ago. She was given the title, the pickaxe murderer. She went in and she killed several people using a pickaxe because her and her partner in crime were actually high on drugs. She was a hardened criminal. And she said she took delight when she killed that person with a pickaxe, if you can imagine the depravity of that. She went to jail for it in Texas. Someone gave her a Bible. And her testimony is when she opened the Bible, she said for the first time she realized her sin. She was convicted of her sin. And she said God opened her eyes and she was gloriously saved. See, that's the power of the Word of God. And that's why it's so important that we preach the Word of God because God's Word is like seed. When you, when you broadcast it into the soil of the human heart, when God the Spirit works on a person's heart, what happens is that person will come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Now, there's obviously a tension between God's sovereignty and human responsibility and salvation. But nevertheless, Peter here says that we're born again by the living word of God. And so as we turn the kaleidoscope, we see the person of the word. Who is that? God. He's the source of the Bible. He used man, but he's ultimately the source of the Bible. When we turn the kaleidoscope again, we see the power of the word. God's word is powerful. It is living and active. Hebrews 4 says it is sharper than a double-edged sword. It is able to convert the sinner's soul. Well, we're going to turn the kaleidoscope again and see the third point of God's word, and that is the permanency of the word, the permanency of the word. Notice, if you will, verse 23 through 25. He says, for you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable through the living, here it is, enduring word of God. There it is, the permanency of God's word. He calls it enduring, and in order to back that up, he quotes Isaiah chapter 40, verse 6, and he says this out of Isaiah, all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Peter here notes for us the permanency of God's word. And what he does in quoting Isaiah is he basically contrasts the word of God with man. Man's word, man's accomplishments are ephemeral. They're temporary. They're transitory. They do not last. On the other hand, he says God's word is permanent. A number of months ago, I was watching. I couldn't sleep and I turned on a show, I don't know if it was on ESPN, but I was watching uh, the Dolphins and that whole season in the 1970s when they went 16-0, and and I was watching some of the interviews of the older players that played on that 1972 Dolphins team, and they were 
talking to Don Shula. And they showed this clip where Don Shula had won the Super Bowl. They went 16-0, and then they won the Super Bowl, and they gave him the Super Bowl trophy. And here is what Don Shula said. He said, this is what life is about. And I thought to myself, it's a nice accomplishment, but that's not ultimately what life is about. And you see, man's accomplishments, Super Bowl trophies, Whatever it is in life, none of them are necessarily wrong in and of themselves, but we have to understand that man and his accomplishments, he says, are like the grass of the fields. It's like flowers. They have their time of glory. But you know what? Ultimately, it's going to come to an end. Why? Because man and his accomplishments are temporary. On the other hand, God's word is permanent. It is eternal. In Psalm 119, verse 89, it says this, Your word, Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. In Luke 21, verse 33, it says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but Jesus says, My words will not pass away. And so Peter here points out the permanency of God's word. God's word is permanent. In fact, in the fourth century, there was a Roman emperor by the name of Diocletian. Diocletian was one of the worst emperors in Rome at that time, and there was a lot of stuff going on in Rome. There was a lot of earthquakes. There was a lot of floods and famine, and so he blamed the Christians because all of that stuff was going on. They offended the gods, and so what Diocletian decided to do was launch an all-out assault against Christians, and he basically wanted to wipe Christianity off the earth. In fact, he claimed that He was going to destroy every manuscript of the Word of God, and he ordered his officials to gather all the manuscripts and burn them in a fire, and he basically gathered them, and historians tell us that he erected a sign, and it said this on the sign, extinct is the name Christian. He thought he had wiped out Christianity and destroyed the Word of God. Well, of course he didn't because within 24 hours there was, a, there was a bevy of copies that were produced of the Word of God. They were still being circulated. He could not destroy the Word of God. Men throughout history have tried to destroy the Word of God. I think it was Voltaire who tried to destroy the Bible. And basically uh, his printing press was used to copy Bibles later on after he died. You see, people have tried to destroy the Word of God, but it doesn't work. Why? Because the Word of God is tied to God. God is eternal, therefore His Word is eternal. I like what Josh McDowell says, the famous apologist, quote, The Bible has withstood vicious attacks of its enemies as no other book has. Many have tried to burn it, ban it, outlaw it from the days of the Roman emperors to present-day communist-dominated countries, end quote. But listen, it hasn't been effective, has it? Because God's word is eternal. And so here's a question for you. How much time do you spend meditating on it? You know, we could say, preacher, amen. God's word is eternal. Do you know your Bible? How much time do you spend learning the Bible? You know, a lot of Christians in the American church, they have an inch deep knowledge of the Bible. They don't know the word of God. They don't know the story, the grand narrative of the word of God. And I say that in love, but I also challenge us to be students of the Word of God, not just for information, but application as well. If God's Word is permanent, if it's eternal, if it's powerful, it's able to convert the soul, and God is the person who inspired the Word of God, we ought to be diligent students of the Scripture. 
And so Peter turns the kaleidoscope. We've seen the person of the Word of God. We've seen the power of the Word of God. We've seen the permanency of the Word of God. Thirdly, I would have, or fourthly, I would have you note the preaching of the Word of God. The preaching of the Word of God. Notice, if you will, chapter 1, verse 25. After describing God's Word, Peter ends the chapter by saying this, And this is the Word that was preached to you. In other words, if God's Word is powerful, if God's word is permanent, he says it ought to be preached. And he's telling his audience, this is the very word that was preached to you. Now, you and I preach the word in two ways. Number one is evangelism. That's one of the ways that we preach the word. And obviously, that's what Peter is talking about here because he's telling his audience, the word was preached to you and you got saved. And so listen, we have an obligation to preach the Word of God evangelistically. And you'll hear me talk about this a lot. We're all going to have different ways and styles of doing it. Listen, your personality is not my personality. I can go up uh, in this whole two weeks of moving. I've been able to witness to the movers and the people who have come over the house. You know, that's my style. That's my personality. You may say, Mike, that's not my style. And you know what? That's okay. That's okay. Maybe you like relational evangelism better. Whatever works for you, but here's the bottom line. Share your faith. We could debate the different styles of evangelism, but the bottom line is this. Are we getting the word of God out? Now, I realize some of you don't have the gift of evangelism. You're not going to do it as frequently and as passionately as someone with the gift. I get that. But Acts chapter 1 says we're all called to be witnesses for Jesus Christ. In fact, I had a great opportunity in South Carolina this last year. I started getting into the schools, and what we would do is I would go in and I would tell the coaches, hey, we want to make uh, dinner for the football players. We started to get into basketball and baseball as well. And so the schools that agreed to this, we would get people from the church who would volunteer. They would make some type of food, and what I would do is we would go and let's say, for example, Lexington High School, 120 players came with the coaches, and I got to preach the gospel. I had a friend of mine named Mike. He looks like a Viking. He's very big, ex-military, red beard, you know, tatted up. He got up there and shared his testimony of how he was strung out on drugs, and he was literally in a prison, losing his mind, and he surrendered to Jesus Christ, and God transformed his life. He would give his testimony, and then I would come up, and I would give the gospel following that. And you know what? We saw probably 500 professions of faith. And I say professions of faith because ultimately I don't know the, the heart. But listen, that's preaching the word of God. That's only one method. There's relational. Get to know your neighbor. Find different ways. And you know what? You got to be intentional about doing it. I have to be intentional. And there are times where I have opportunity and I blow it. I blow it because of fear. I blow it because I'm in a bad mood and I don't want to do it. But there are other times where God has used me mightily to share the gospel. And so the kaleidoscope of preaching the word of God, one way is evangelism, but the other way we preach the word of God is through teaching. The Bible says we're to teach the word of God. Listen to what 2 Timothy chapter 4 says. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ. He's talking to Timothy here, who is to judge the living and the dead. And by his appearing and his kingdom, he says this to Timothy, military command in the Greek, verse 2, preach the what? Word. He doesn't say preach your opinion. He doesn't say preach psychology. He doesn't say preach politics. 
Some of those things have a place. He says, preach the word. And he says, Timothy, I want you to be ready in season and out of season. Do it when it's popular and it's not popular. And when you preach the word, Timothy, you're going to reprove, you're going to rebuke, you're going to exhort. And by the way, Timothy, do it with great patience and instruction. That's the mandate of the pastor is to preach the word of God. And listen, too many churches today are pablum pumping pulpits. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of dribble and pablum coming out from the pulpits today, and we are mandated to not only preach the word evangelistically, but we're to preach the word of God in a discipleship way where we nourish the people of God. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13, Paul tells us how to preach the word. Very simple. He says to Timothy, Timothy, until I come, give attention, here it is, to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. What is he saying there? He's saying to Timothy, here's what I want you to do. I want you to read the text, I want you to explain the text, and I want you to apply the text. I want you to read it, I want you to exhort, that is apply it, and I want you to teach, that is explain it. That is the method that we're going to do here. In fact, next week we're going to start the book of James. And we're going to go line by line through the Bible. We'll do Old Testament books, New Testament books. And listen, God will nourish his people. And so we preach the word in two ways. We share our faith evangelistically, and we disciple others through the teaching of God's word. Well, Peter's going to turn the kaleidoscope again, and he's going to give us another perspective on God's word, and that is the priority of the word of God, the priority of the word of God. Notice, if you will, chapter 2 Verses 1 through 3. He says, therefore. What's the therefore, therefore? On the basis of what I just said in the previous chapter, therefore, rid yourselves of all malice. In other words, make a decision that you're going to get rid of malice. What is malice? Ill will towards other people. You ever heard of people that are malicious? You know, sometimes church people can be malicious. Sometimes church people are worse than the world. He says, get rid of malice. Don't be a malicious person. We do that through gossip and slander. He says, get rid of all deceit. That word means to bait the hook. In other words, don't be deceptive. Get rid of hypocrisy. Don't pretend to be something that you're not. The word hypocrisy means to have a mask. You're pretending to be something that you're not. Get rid of, he says, envy. That's wanting what other people have. And then he says, slander of every kind. And then notice what he says here as he shows us the priority of the word of God. He says, like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. As Peter turns the kaleidoscope, he shows us the fifth perspective of God's word, and that is the priority of the word. And what is the priority of the word? The priority is we are to crave it like a newborn baby craves its mother's milk. Now, all you moms out there understand this, that when you bring home your new baby, the baby does not care about the decorations in the bedroom. The baby could care less whether the room is pink or blue. The baby could care less whether there are teddy bears in the room. The only thing that the baby cares about, it has a singular focus, is I want my mother's breast milk. And it knows that instinctively. And listen, when it doesn't get the milk, what happens? It has a conniption. 
Peter says here, we are to crave God's word. We are to make it a priority like a baby longs for its mother's milk. Now, I don't know about you. There are times where maybe I don't crave it like I should. You're going to go through the ebb and flow of emotions where you're not always going to crave the word of God. You may struggle to prioritize it in your life. But you know what you have to do during those seasons where maybe you're not craving it? you got to force feed yourself. you got to force feed yourself. Now, here's what I know. If you're not in the Word of God at all, here's what I know about you. You're being conformed by the world. Because, listen, if the Word of God is not shaping you, you're not reading it on a regular basis, you're not doing what Joshua 1.8 says, you're not meditating on it, what's going to happen is God's Word is not going to shape you. The world's system, Romans 12, is going to shape you. And that's why it's critical that we get into the Word of God, not just for information, but to commune with God, for God to speak to my heart. God will speak to me. Obviously, we want to study the passage and its background. We want to look at the historical perspective, all of that. But in the end, what does that passage say to me? How is God speaking to me through His Word? And when you're going through those dry periods, and you will... Say, God, I'm struggling right now with longing for your word. God, give me a passion for your word. That passion is going to ebb and flow, no doubt about it. I was reading a story about a person who was blind, and they had to read the Bible in Braille, and so they would use their fingers to read the Bible. Well, what happened over time, because they read the Bible so much, they developed calluses on their fingers, and it rendered their fingers insensitive to where they couldn't read the Bible anymore. And this person was heartbroken. And so one day they were crying out to the Lord in tears, I cannot read the Bible with my hands. And this particular lady put her face on the braille, and she noticed that her lips were more sensitive than her fingers, and she began to read the Bible in braille with her lips. That's a priority. That's craving the word like a baby craves its mother's milk. And Peter says the reason why we're to do it is so that we will grow. And so here's the formula. No word, no growth. If you're not growing in your walk with God, it could be that you're not studying the word of God and applying it to your life. Because just studying it in and of itself is not going to make you grow. You've got to apply the word of God to your life. And by the way, Peter said earlier in chapter 1, the word gives life. He said it's like seed, it gives life, but it also sustains life just like a mother's milk sustains a baby. And so the word of God is powerful. It gives life and it sustains life. And we got to prioritize it. And listen, there are people in our country today, even in the church, who struggle with anorexia. Anorexia is when you're not eating food. You binge and you purge. I could probably do a little bit of that of myself. But listen, some people have a real struggle with this. And what happens is they can't eat. They develop anorexia. Remember Karen Carpenter? I loved her music. Karen Carpenter died of that. But you know what we have in the church today? Spiritual anorexics. That's a word. There's a lot of people in the American church who have spiritual anorexia. When you look at them spiritually, they're malnourished. Everything else has a priority rather than the Word of God. In fact, here is what George Foreman, you guys have the George Foreman grill? Remember George Foreman, you know, the boxer? Here is what he said, and I love this quote about the Bible. In 1974, before I went to Africa to fight Muhammad Ali, a friend gave me a Bible to take along on my trip. He said, George, 
Keep this with you for good luck. I believe the Bible was just a shepherd's handbook, probably because the only verse I knew was the Lord is my shepherd. But I was always looking for luck, so I carried the Bible with me. I had lucky pennies and good luck charms, so now I added the lucky Bible to my collection of superstitious items. I never opened it, I thought. The Bible didn't help me win, so why do I need it? I thought I'd get power simply from owning it. I didn't realize that I needed to read it and believe what it says. Since then, I have come to understand that the Bible is my roadmap, not my good luck charm, end quote. He's right. How about you? Is it your roadmap? You say, but Mike, I struggle with prioritizing it. Listen, it's the tyranny of the urgent. If you've got a lot of stuff going on in your life, you've got to nail down a specific time, a specific place. That is your time with God. And you know what? You meditate. You say, how long should I do it for? Listen, that's between you and God. Obviously, you want to do it more than three minutes. I remember they came out with a one-minute Bible. And I was like, that's nuts. What you're doing is you're encouraging people to spend one minute in the Bible. That's not going to cut it. But listen, that's better than nothing. Spend at least 15 minutes to 30 minutes a day reading the Bible, praying, and having communion with God. Remember what Jesus said to the disciples when they were in the garden? They fell asleep. Jesus needed them during that time when he was about to be arrested and crucified. And he said this. It's really convicting. He said, could you not tarry with me for what? One hour. I went, oh, one hour? Now you say, well, how do I develop an appetite for the word of God? Well... Verse 1 of 1 Peter 2 tells us what we have to do. Therefore, putting aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy and envy, and all slander of every kind, and then he says, like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word of God. So let me use an analogy. It's called weeding and feeding. In fact, I got to do that to my yard because when I pulled up with the truck, I noticed all the weeds coming up in the yard. And so my brother Abe here bought me some weed and feed. So what you got to do, Peter says, is before you feed on the word of God like a newborn baby, you got to first pull the weeds. And so I talk about weeding and feeding. You got to pull the weeds out in your life. Now, listen, that's a constant process. Why? Because you got to deal with sin in your life all the time. Listen, weeds in my heart grow up all the time. I don't know about you. All the time. I'm plucking weeds in my heart. I'm clearing the rocks. Why? Because the seed of God's word, if you're not confessing sin, you're not repenting of sin, when the seed of God's word goes in, you know what it will do to the word of God? It'll choke it out if you don't weed and feed. And Peter says here, you got to lay aside these things in your life. You're not going to do it perfectly, but that's why we confess our sins and repent. And what does the Bible say? Shirley sung about this song, his mercies are new what? Every morning. Man, I claim that all the time because I don't know about you, I need God's grace. I love the word grace. I named my daughter Ashley Grace because I love grace because I need it because I blow it all the time. So Peter here shows us the kaleidoscope of God's word. A kaleidoscope, you turn it, you see different colors, different shapes, different sizes. Peter shows us here the kaleidoscope of God's word. And first of all, he shows us the person of the word of God. Who's the person of the word? It's God. He used man, he inspired man, and they recorded what God wanted recorded. And so the Bible is 
God and man together. That is the person of the word. Secondly, the power of the word is seen like seed. When it's planted in the soil of the human heart, when it's mixed with faith, it produces the fruit of salvation. That's the power of the word of God. Thirdly, the permanency of the word of God. Peter says the word is permanent. Man's accomplishments, man's words are temporary. God's word is permanent. And then fourthly, the preaching of the word of God. Because it is powerful, because it is permanent, we need to preach it. And we need to preach it evangelistically, and we need to preach it in terms of discipleship, expounding the Word of God. And then finally, the priority of the Word of God. He says that we need to prioritize it like a baby wants its mother's milk. Why? So that we may grow in our salvation. Listen, no word, no growth. So I ask you as we close this morning, are you in the Word of God? Are you sharing the word of God? Listen, one of the easiest things, and listen, I'm preaching to myself here, is to come to church, we gather, but listen, when we leave here, we scatter. This is not a cul-de-sac. What happens is we get fed the word of God, and as long as I'm the pastor here, you're going to be taught the word of God. I'm going to teach you systematically through the scripture. But listen, we don't want to become spiritual leeches. What's a spiritual leech? What What do leeches do? They suck your blood. And you know, a lot of Christians, feed me. Feed me the word of God. Feed me the word of God. Good attitude. You want to eat the word of God. But you know what happens? We can become spiritually fat. And we're not out in the world making a difference. We're not reaching our neighbors. God wants us to impact because that's the power of the word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for reminding us of your word, its power, Thank you for reminding us that you are the source of Scripture. It's not just any old book. It's not on par with Shakespeare. Your word is above all of man's words, all of man's books. We thank you, Father, for that. And God, I pray that this church would continue as it has in its history, being a church that honors your word. Because, Lord, you said you have honored your word above your name. And I pray that that would continue to be the priority here. But God, I pray that we would not be a well-fed church that doesn't make an impact in the community and beyond. God, give us grace. And maybe you're sitting here this morning and you say, Mike, I, I hear what you're saying. I'm not in the word. I'm struggling. You know what? Confess that to God. God is merciful. He loves you. And make it a priority to get in the scripture. Have a specific time. Maybe there's some things in your life that you need to lay aside, some weeds you need to pull. Maybe you're not walking with God. And if you're sitting here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, the Bible says all you have to do is repent of your sins and say, Jesus, I trust in your death and resurrection alone to save me. If you've never done that this morning, I invite you to ask Jesus to be your personal Lord and Savior. The Bible says that Jesus will convert your soul. Father, bless us, and I pray that we would impact this community. I pray, Father, for this nation of ours. I pray for our president, our leaders. Convict them of sin. Draw them to you. Open up the eyes of our legislators. Our governor, we pray for his soul. I don't know his spiritual condition, but God, work in his heart. I pray for revival in America. And Lord, I lift up North Korea this morning. I pray that you would strengthen that area that's so dark. I pray that your word would get in through those gospel balloons. Pour out your spirit upon North Korea. Break up that fallow ground. 
And Father, we pray that you would do a work around the nations, Father, for you are a missionary God. We thank you this morning for all that you do. Encourage us and help us to be people of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we close. And listen, as you go out, remember, we scatter in the world to be salt and light for Jesus Christ. Let's worship our great God.